All right, it's Jeff Mayhew, it's John Beatty, it's Politics and Parenting, where we talk about politics, but we talk about it differently. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, well Jeff. We're uh, on Easter break here. I got my brioche done, got some croissants made, like it's uh, I'm on full on vacation mode for the next couple of days. So how about you? <laughs> I am, uh, I'm good. Just, you know, plugging away, trying to avoid the noise of the real world, uh, focusing on family and... Uh, work in our sphere of power packet <laughs> very exciting yep February, april 22nd be there that's right uh so during this time have you read anything new john i did get a chance i i felt like a jeff mayhew because i have been really meaning to read this book for a while uh and i just started one evening and then without even knowing it katie's like oh you read like 100 pages and i was like oh i guess i read 100 pages and then i finished it within a day or two afterwards it was a really good book it was um Bad news, uh, and it's by it's uh, Batya. You can pull Jeff. You can pull it out of your library right now. It'd be great. Yeah, that would. I should have got it out before we started, right? I don't know where it is. It's mine's the, up, kids, the kids haven't upstairs. put my books back in order. Children, uh, we should talk about talk about that in our parenting section. Um, <laughs> but it's this great book about about news and like the way the newspapers work now and the, the sort of the news industry, and it's funny because. Um, <clears throat> There's so much discussion about it and people are like, oh, news is the fourth estate. It's so important. But if you if you kind of study the history of it, and we like to study about the history here in the Madison Republicans and the Politics and Parenting podcast, like it actually really wasn't about uh, the fourth estate per se. It was really about selling advertising and it was trying to build, there you go, the right audience. And how do you appeal to that audience? So that kind of starts out with um, Pulitzer, right? Uh, and the idea that newspapers at the time were were uh, geared towards a, a very elite audience, if you will, where it was like six pence a day, six pennies in order to get your newspaper. And it was usually very industry specific. But this Pulitzer guy, which has some award after him now, um, he decides he kind of he has this insight and he, he gets this from like being with the people, kind of living with the people. And he he realizes you could sell a paper for one penny. And you could end up selling a lot of advertising against that to make it up. But like, if you tell people what they want to, what's interests them, you can actually build a, a tremendous uh, uh, newspaper business off that. So um, if I recall correctly, he, he uh, starts working on the Daily Sun, then he goes out to the Midwest and then he comes back and he ends up starting um, a newspaper business out in New York City. But the, the thing that kind of um, I love about the book is the, the historical aspect of it. And the the whole narrative of this narrative of this, and so you go from Pulitzer, um, and the idea of of trying to have news for the masses, and then you contrast that today, where you've kind of got the New York Times as the eight hundred pound gorilla in the newspaper industry, but they're very much focused on a particular kind of readership, and so again, they're very much uh, focused on keeping those readers, which it's a business like any business, it's capitalism. You got you sell a product. And uh, you you want to um, keep that your customers, but ironically, the customers tend to be like the the really fancy advertisers. So it's just interesting um, the fact that the news now is so elite focused because that's where you can sell advertising against. Like uh, in the book, she talks about the style section, and they ended up running this. They run the style section now twice at the New York Times because they get really high dollar ads associated with that. So not only are you trying to like keep your readers engaged. And so you write articles that are going to keep them engaged, but there's also an incentive in order to make, uh, to make money, to keep up, to keep the business running. Cause it is a for-profit entity. You end up making decisions editorially and you make, and, and that really drives the audience you're trying to get in. And that in her estimation is a very elite audience. And I don't know if, if per se, that's where she's going at. She's trying to show like, well, they're just not talking to the whole America and stuff. But for when I was reading this, I was kind of like, boom, this is the populism that you're always talking about, Jeff. This is a populism where someone can come in and say, no one's listening to you. And it, it also really clicked for me also with the with the indictment of Trump in Manhattan. And it seems like it's a frivolous case, but you know, we'll let the courts decide that. But that, that just, again, gives someone like Donald Trump credibility because he can say like, look, I may be a millionaire. I may have my own private jet that I shoot around the country and I may have a hotels all over the place that I can stay in that are gilded and look really fancy, but I'm not one of the elites because the elites don't want me. And they they have this frivolous case with 34 uh, hard copy, uh, photocopy pages of 
kind of goofy indictments um, that they're trying to take me down. And that's his credibility. And that's how he can keep this whole populist thing going. And I think at our meeting last time too, you were talking about like Bernie Sanders is the other side of the same coin. He's a populist on a more progressive leftist side, if you will. But again, he, you know, he's a millionaire. You can look at his tax returns, but he has the credibility because he goes on and on and on and he attacks and attacks verbally the the corporations and the, the moneyed interests. So it was just, it was interesting to kind of see like, uh, I think there's something missing to the whole, I mean, obviously there's something missing because people don't understand Trump. And I think people get his affectations and they say, well, people like him because he's a bully, because he says mean things. But I don't think that's the truth. I think it's because he is able to have the credibility to say when I want, when he says I'm one of you, he actually can back it up because he's been ejected by the elite. So that was, that was kind of my thought reading this book and um, just kind of getting a better sense of like where the American electorate is. And that's why he's still so popular, even though he's been indicted, uh, the, you know, not necessarily the indictment, but the whole story around the indictment is kind of um, scurrilous, if you will. Like it's just not the most uh, glamorous or ritzy and it just doesn't show well in his character, but generally people don't seem to care because I think in their mind, they say, well, you know, having good manners, that's just part of the elite. So if you're, you know, that's another show into that. You're one of us, you're one of the common people and we'll follow you uh, with our 30% until the end. So you, you said a couple of things there. Like I, the, Hey, elite, right? You're not listening to us, right? Mm -hmm. That's what I, that's what I say all the time. Like nobody is listening to people like us. Um, as loud as we're screaming, sometimes we're nice. Sometimes we're a little aggressive, but like, we're just trying to get your attention and be like, Hey, look at us. Right. And the result of that is somebody like Donald Trump, you know, um, like you said, and if the, you know, back to this, his case. So what is he is it's a campaign finance case, right? Allegedly, allegedly, but it's ridiculous. Campaign finance case. So like the elites are focused on Donald Trump's campaign finance. Meanwhile, we have a political system that has a legalized money laundering scheme called mm-hmm. political packs. That's what they are. They, I mean, we'll we're document that at our April 22nd sphere of power, right? But like Alvin Bragg, the people of the United States want less corrupt leaders. That's what they want. And they want a less corrupt system. And you could make the argument that the people of New York state actually want Donald Trump indicted and that he is fulfilling the will of his state, if you Mm -hmm. look at it in that aspect. But as a servant of the state and of the of the federal government overall, you have to look at like what is fair, you know, especially as a prosecutor and what is what is most important to that prosecutor's time. Is it going after and taking down one man for a campaign finance law, or should it be looking at the campaign finance structure as a whole and how dark money is funneled in through uh, through political packs, which he probably has one? Let's be honest. Like, is he looking at himself? Isn't that the thing against him? He's a Soros-backed prosecutor, and it wasn't like George Soros did the one donation. It's it's through the shady Soros network. So, if anything, he is the uh, example number one of of packs moving money around in order to, to help get a candidate elected. Who fits a particular ideological uh, bent, right? And in like whose will is served at that point? Is it the people's will or is it the money's will? And isn't that what the people are rebelling against, right? Like, isn't that the populism that is at stake? I mean, if you look at the history of the world, that's always the populism. You get one ruling class that's taking care of themselves; they forget about the other one. They quash opportunity for that class to enter the game. They stop listening to them, and then. You know, they start fighting amongst themselves and using the people as like a tool to divide and conquer, you know, their their own great wealth. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, like that's I mean, that's a medieval king right there. It's it's the kings having little dueling battles and stuff. And they just hire their mercenary soldiers and they go out and they wage war and they kill a couple of peasants in the in the in the doing that. And they ruin some fields and stuff. But it's it's the bigger elite monarchs that are using uh, their their uh, their chivalry and soldiers and stuff in order to pretend to to govern. Um, and I, you know, we're in a similar situation here where you've got a huge moneyed interest that can funnel money, that can move money around. And again, like Donald Trump's 
one of his selling points early on in the campaign is I'm going to self-fund this because I'm not going to be able listening to any of the, of the elite. So again, there's that little bit of a populist nugget right there and he's able to hold on to it and keep it to keep that thread throughout the campaign. Um, and I guess I just think like, that's what the people don't, what, do, what they don't get. And I think they, they hang too much on like, well, he's so brash. He says awful things. And so people copy the brashness and they copy saying awful things, but I, I, I would say like, that's not his charm and that's not why people come. And that's why when someone says, well, we're going to bring out the Trump voters, there's no way they're going to bring out the Trump voters. The very fact that they think they can just like bring out the Trump voters shows that they don't understand what his charm was. And I would say, I didn't understand what his charm was. And I think I'm starting to get get a sense for it. But I think that's the problem with, with populism as a general is if you are part of the elite, if you're part of the establishment uh, and you say, well, I'm just going to raise a lot of money, hire a bunch of consultants and that run my campaign for me. And then we'll say the same things that Trump did and people are going to come out and vote for me. And when you end up losing because people didn't come, those people didn't come out to vote for you because they didn't, they know that you're part of the elite and they know that you're part of the establishment and you're actually not going to change anything. You know, what do we learn? No one's learning from that situation. Instead, they just kind of doubled down and said, well, I just got to be meaner and bolder and brasher. And I, again, like this book has really made it clear for me that that's not why people vote for Donald Trump. They vote for him because he truly is one of them because he has been re ejected by his people. And so he can be on the outside of the walls and he can say, let's go storm the castle. And I know all the, the nooks and crannies of the castle because I lived in that castle. Um, and you guys can come with me and I'll show you how great it was. And we can, you know, we'll sip wine together. We'll sip Trump wine together. Um, <laughs> and like, like, like that's like, that's his charm right there. That's air quotes charm, but like, that's what brings people along with him. And that's why he has this group of people that will vote for him and support him no matter what. And I think that someone like DeSantis comes in and says, well, I could be, you know, I could kind of play the Trump game. I could be a little grumpy here. Um, but again, like, I think as he goes through, DeSantis goes through his his presidential campaign, I think he's going to end up falling because he does not have the same populist charm. And I don't think he gets the message that the the nut of why Donald Trump is popular. Like, I think he gets it on the on the periphery, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I I agree with that. We talked about DeSantis when we had Scott on the show, and and you know he's he's an intellectual, right? Mm -hmm. He's in a different circle than Donald Trump. Like even in the different circles of the elites, which Donald Trump is the of the elite. Like he's just like not popular among the elites, you know. Exactly. Yeah. In in the elite governing body, you know, entertainment, like they were fine with him in in the mm -hmm. entertainment world. They were like, whatever, he's Trump. Once they he came into their territory, they were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is our way to manipulate society. You know, you can't have both. You can't have money and power, you know? And so, um, but DeSantis fits that mold. He's he's an elite. He's he's kind of doubled down with his hirings around his staff. We talked about that as well uh, with Tyler. And yeah, he's missing the point. And, you know, back to your point about the media, no one is listening to us. No one's, no mm -hmm. one understands, like, if you're the media, I mean, what, what are they all doing? Wall-to-wall -wall coverage of Trump's, you know, what, this is what his third impeachment now. I know he's already impeached and he's not even president, but like now they're trying to take him down. And it's like, look, coming from somebody who believes that Trump broke a lot of laws and absolutely probably should be in prison. Uh, I also believe a lot of other people have done that. And yeah. I believe that the reason he did it is because he saw what they were doing. And he just kind of copied them because that's, that's how Trump does business. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's how a lot of people do business, to be honest with you. <laughs> and, you know, if the media really wanted to, like, take down Trump, like, instead of focusing on Trump, they should focus on campaign finance. They should focus on the thing that he's used to manipulate the system to gain power. You know, like, go to the root of his power um, and then, you know, dissect it from there. But maybe, maybe they don't understand, you know, that the media that is, or maybe they know it. And they were like, wait, this is going to unravel a lot of different things, including a lot of our power. So maybe we just want to ignore this. We can take them down this other way. You know, we don't have to do this. We can save this part and do this other thing. But like you said, they're missing the point. You know, if you're not actually talking about the real problem, you're just distracting the people and the people are tired of that. No, I, I, I think they just don't get, I, do, I think honestly they don't get Donald Trump. And I said, no one really gets Donald Trump other than like his supporters and stuff. Like, I think if you wanted to go after him and sort of draw people away from him, you talk about the pain people feel and the fact that uh, 
I mean, like, and there's kind of like hints of this. It was like, oh, there's the hollowing out of the working class. And, you know, like that was a strong Democratic constituency. But the Democrats have kind of moved on from, again, the, the Democrats have gone more elite. They moved into like the upper New York circles mm-hmm. and they kind of pay lip service to unions, but they pay lip service to union elites. They don't pay service, lip service to the union workers. That's they pay right. lip service to the people who run the union PACs. Because they direct. pay the money. That's right. Like if you cared about union jobs per se, you'd be terrified that someone would go into the grocery store on the week before Easter when a lot of people are getting eggs. And you'd see, again, 18 eggs is eight to nine nine bucks like and that's the generic eggs that's not the fancy uh eggs that that advertised are in jeopardy every day like these are just basic eggs and it's like little costs like this it's little nicks that are going to end up causing a lot of pain over time and the elites don't get that because they can afford eight dollar eggs in fact they're probably buying really fancy farm-raised eggs that i used to grow um where you you spend uh it used to be five bucks for a dozen i thought that was highway robbery um but that was the growing rate but, you know, like now I'd probably charge 10 bucks for, for eggs that were organic, free range. You know, they ate the bugs. They were happy. You knew yeah. the names of each of the, of the hens. Like, um, you know, you can pay for that and you can like, yeah, it's just the cost. You know, I, it's just what, what it costs to get the best eggs. But if you're a regular person, if you've got six, seven mouths to feed, like it adds up really quickly. Or to die, you know, for Easter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, like we didn't die at Easter eggs this year. I mean, I wonder why, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, no, I mean, you're right. The, there's nobody really representing that class because, I mean, what I'll say to to Trump and the other side is like they pay lip service to it the same way that the Democrats do. You sure. know, like they're they're going to take the the pack money the same way that the Democrats are going to do it. They just they're just not as good at it. Like they yeah. haven't cozied up to corporate elites the same way. So the, like they're doing like a labor like a ground up labor pack movement where it's like a whole bunch of small packs funnel into like the other one, which is kind of the way the democratic structure is, but they just have a bigger structure, you know? And so the, the Republicans are just behind on the game, on the money game, essentially. Mm -hmm. But like, let's not ignore who's making the decisions. It is money. It's not people anymore. They're not, they're not caring about the members of the group. They're only caring about who writes the bills for the group. And that is, I mean, that's corruption, you know, like, uh, Mm -hmm. I think I was in a conversation the other day and I was like, you know, what is corruption if an individual can benefit from the power of the group, right? Whether it's money or whatever in a very dark, non-transparent way, you know, like that is, that is corruption. <laughs> yeah, I would say that. Did I, did I see any of that video? This, uh, the James O'Keefe did this project. I don't know if he's project or does anymore. I guess he got, that's his own, again, like that going back to grifts and like uh, nonprofits. Right. Um, but he did this thing where he, uh took someone had gone through all these ActBlue donations and they basically like did the math and they said like this person who donated through ActBlue would have had to donate thousands of times and it was basically in the calculations it would have been like making an ActBlue donation for a small amount every like couple minutes which like doesn't make any sense so he was actually going door to door with people with the ActBlue uh donations based on their addresses and stuff it was like did you make these donations and they said no that's not me so you know, the Democrats, they're really good about figuring out ways to funnel money and, and to make it look legitimate. And I think Republicans are just jealous. They wish they could they could break the law the same way. Uh, and maybe they're getting better at it. We'll see. I mean, I think that they they definitely do it the same way. They're just not as good at it. You know, like mm-hmm. they're, they're, you know, jealous at somebody else's talent. I mean, it's not a talent. It's a grift, you know, flat out. And, you know, Trump was the first person that under, I think, a first politician that like, made the grift known to everybody else like he said it out loud even without saying it like his behavior was so overt like obnoxious with it there was like hey even i can figure this out you know (laughs) all right so you know kind of flowing into that trump thing i think you know you hit on the point about populism and the elite circle and like what people don't get about trump i think the other thing is it's communication. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that like people today don't really understand like how to communicate with one another. I mean, um, it's not something that we talk about a lot in lower education. Uh, and then you look at the media, you look at everything that's going on. It's very like indirect, you know, whatever. I think well, if, if I can, the communication people talk about is like, oh, we're going to do a PowerPoint. So have you been through a PowerPoint? It's the worst form of communication ever. <laughs> Because again, it's like just I'm just throwing facts at you, big pictures, 
big screen, you're just going to absorb it. And then maybe you have some questions because like, you're just sort of dazed after looking through it. So like, if there's any, if going back to what, what communication we may teach, it's just PowerPoints, which are the worst, maybe the worst form of communicating. Yeah. So I, uh, I've never been through a PowerPoint on communication. I've never taken a communication class. I just study the way that people talk. Mm -hmm. I study the way that I communicate with my wife. I study the way that I communicate with my kids. And, and I study the way that our communicators our our leaders communicate back and forth, like back, you know, from our founders writing back and forth with each other to during like the pre-Civil War, the antebellum. Like I love to read letters back and forth uh, between people. And the thing that I've noticed is like, we communicate like we did pre-Civil War. Our leaders communicate like they did pre-Civil War. And uh, we were talking about, I think it was Sumner that was caned, you know, on the floor because mm -hmm. they just, they they were past talking, you know? And I look at... um who was it? Tom Massey and Jamal Bowman got into it on the house floor, you know, a few weeks ago. And that made me think. Um, so I wrote this thing. I want to go over it with you, John. I'll read it for the, for the people. It's about communication. And so people communicate by words or language and by emotion or body language. Body language includes our facial expressions, actions, and tone of voice. Words can be active, direct, or concise. And emotions can be active, loud, aggressive, or confident. Words can be passive, misleading, or lacking information. Emotion can be passive, quiet, neutral, or lacking confidence. People may express themselves with active language and passive emotion, or other times with passive language and active emotion. The best communication form depends on the situation, audience, and the abilities of the speaker. So, you know, like the big takeaway is like understanding the two basic types of communication, active and passive, and understanding mm -hmm. that they are layered. They are not singular. Okay. So it's both what you say and how you say it. Yep. You know, you can say something passively where it's like in a, oh, I'm not sure about that. And you can say it in a very direct way, you know, I'm not sure about that. And then like your audience now knows like this person needs my help, you know, and, and mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of how this situation goes. So I write this example out. This happened to me in, uh, Ellie. So this is, it's a little story and each one kind of gives an example of different types of communication. So the first part is an active, active communication. So my twin daughter, Ellie is six. She is wild and rambunctious. She draws on everything from my wall walls to my books. She climbs on dressers and sometimes knocks them down, breaking her foot. It was a Friday night and we planned a family date night at the roller ring. I walked upstairs and told the twins, Ellie was excited, ran, and jumped, putting her hands on the second floor banister. As she was running toward the banister, I reacted actively with my words. Ellie, no. Concise and to the point. I ensured my audience knew what the speaker was addressing and used the shortest word possible to express that. I also reacted actively with my emotions. I loudly said, Ellie, no, while reaching and grabbing her from the banister. Why active, active? Well, there are a couple of factors. My reaction as active-active was in part because of the information I have about my daughter. She's into gymnastics at the moment. She and her sister regularly practice handstands and cartwheels. I know her capabilities, and I know her lack of forward thinking. I know she could fling herself up and over the railing, and I'm pretty sure she doesn't know that yet. Active-active is a common, uh, common way to communicate in an emergency. The speaker ensures the message is heard quickly. The speaker is often reacting more than acting. The response is nature. It is our brain quickly filtering through massive amounts of information and making quick decisions for our or our loved one's survival. So I think like most parents have been in that situation, right? Where it's like your kid's about to do something and you're like, I got to stop this as quickly as possible. So you use your voice and your words as loudly and quickly as possible. And that is, you know, that's our survival, right? I mean, you've yeah. been in that situation before. No, I, I Kids are, kids are misbehaving and you got to get them to stop uh, very quickly. Otherwise it could lead to worse things. Yeah. And so like, as people, we have to understand that this is how we communicate. Now, maybe this is, maybe this is good or maybe it's bad. So as the story continues, the next part of the story is an example of active passive um, language or communication. Ellie being six was frightened by my reaction. Immediately recognizing her fear, I turned passive. I grabbed her tight, rubbing her back. Hey, baby, daddy was scared. That is a big fall if you go over, and I don't want you to get hurt. 
I'm sorry, do you forgive me? Why did I do this? I knew she heard my emotion, but I wasn't sure if she heard my words. By calming her, I reframed the conversation from active-active to active-passive. It's important for a couple of reasons. I don't want her to be afraid of her capabilities, and I, but I do want her to be aware of them. By explaining my fear, I could also explain her capabilities. This gives her a greater grasp of herself and allows her to make better choices in the future. So in the next stage, we go from uh, into passive-active. So, and this is the part we were talking about before where like our leaders need to listen to one another. So in the end, I transitioned from active-passive to passive-active. Being an effective communicator is getting one's message heard. And for the speaker to understand if they're being heard, they need to listen to their audience. I put on a smile, making sure Ellie felt safe and comfortable. Did you hear what I said? With a sheepish smile, she replied, yes. Can you explain it to daddy? It's not a good idea to jump on the banister because I'm good at gymnastics and I could lift myself right over or break and it could fall. I smiled. Do you know there was nothing to be afraid of? Yes, daddy. You crazy. You always think I do this crazy stuff, but I wouldn't do it here. So by being vulnerable and honest from a position of authority, it helps build trust between the speaker and the audience. In this case, Ellie and myself. Building trust is essential in communication. An effective communicator and leader will want an environment for growth. Trust from the audience will allow them to express themselves freely to the speaker, allowing the speaker to gain valuable insight to their communication skills. My emotion, good, bad, and ugly, is here to serve her. I am imperfect and make mistakes, but my words and reason are built on a foundation of love. I want her to listen to me, so I have to explain my actions and listen to hers. And so that's what I see, you know, that's what I see in the world on how we communicate back and forth. That's how I communicate with my daughter to guide and get her better. But I'm not seeing that from our leaders. Are you? No, not at all. And I can tell you why. Because when you say, I'm sorry, then someone jumps up, well, see this person? He is so bad because he knows he did something wrong. So we got to vote him out of office. So the, all the, in the incentives, the environment, if you will, that shapes the politicians is so perverse where you can't ever admit that you did something wrong because uh, that will, uh, you know, that leads to you getting unelected. That leads to you getting kicked out of office. And when you're so invested in this job, um, and, and not for good reasons, but maybe for the monetary gains or the prestige or the privilege, you don't want to, you know, you don't want that any reason for someone to vote you out of office. And so I, I completely agree that that's what's happening because the the environment, the media environment, the news environment, what, you know, whatever it is. Um, and maybe it's the, the primary environment where it's negative and um, uh, just mudslinging because you know that you have, you know, you and that other person have no real differences ideologically. So you, the only way you're going to win is if you uh, cut them down at the knees and make them the worst person in America, because then you're the second worst person in America. So by de facto, you should win this. You should be in office because you're the you second, be the, person the second worst person, not the worst. <laughs> it's almost that's what the system has become, hasn't it? Yeah. It's like, no, it really has. You know, like, oh, my God. It's just the idea of Trump and Biden again, just like make me want to throw up, you know, like, oh, I just I can't believe anybody would be happy with that. Like, I just um, OK, so again, because one is the worst person in America. And so the other one is the second worst. And so they're better. But I don't like, see how that's winning. Like, there's just no winning, you know, like, I mean, I thought we were going to win, you know. <laughs> so. All right. Let's so let's bring this. Let's bring this communication style of active, active, passive, active, you know, what you say and how you say it to our leaders. Okay. So I mentioned Jamal Bowman and Tom Massey. So after the Nashville tragedy, House Rep Jamal Bowman got into it with Tom Massey. In a recording of the conversation, Bowman is communicating as a passive active. He is frustrated at another school shooting and doesn't understand why they keep happening. He speaks passionately and loudly. His words are passive, misdirecting the audience to his active emotion. The communication choice from a leadership position needs to be more effective. It needs more direction. It's difficult to hear the audience when one is yelling. He isn't discussing the core of the issue, which is why do people want to kill innocent people? He is discussing, discussing the core of his issue or belief, which is guns are the problem and they need to be controlled. The problem he sees is the other side in the GOP that doesn't want gun control. He isn't seeking others' voices or opinions on this complex matter. He is seeking to wield his emotion to accomplish his end. A leader who wants to solve problems listens to those they disagree with. 
Bowman isn't addressing anyone in particular with his expression. Tom Massey comes over to speak back to Bowman. Massey speaks as an active passive. He wants Bowman to co-sponsor or vote for his bill. He says it directly and softly. Again, this communication choice from a leadership position should be more effective. Massey would be better speaking as a passive active in the situation. Expressing empathy would calm Bowman and ease his pain. Asking how Bowman would solve the problem and then allowing Bowman to explain himself would help build trust and respect between the two. Massey could pick up on some common ground to build on, but if none is found when Bowman is done speaking, Bowman is more likely to hear Massey's ideas now that Massey has heard his. Not only is Bowman's emotion expressed and his words heard, but now Massey has shown respect and Bowman will be more likely to return the favor. A strong leader and communicator listens in times of tragedy, putting aside their ideas and beliefs to listen to others and then reflecting on the new information. A strong leader and communicator finds common ground and builds solutions to problems by using words and emotions to calm and build trust and respect. And I can't help but think that the way that our leaders try to get things done is simply by wielding their emotion as their power to serve their means. They're not interested in having a conversation. The two of those people were not communicating with each other. They were speaking through each other. They were yelling at each other. And credit to Massey for trying to open the conversation. But, you know, and I think Tom Massey's an extremely smart guy. Maybe he just doesn't have the communication skills to be a member of Congress that way, because that's not how you're going to get somebody on your side. You know, Tom Massey's been, you know, like I said, very, very smart man, been in Congress for a really long time and doesn't get a lot done, you know, and, and part of that is intentional because he believes they do too much. And I agree with him on that. But at the end of the day, you got to prove the system works in some way. And it's a mm -hmm. system of debate. It's a system of compromise. If you can't do that, then you're not doing your job. Yeah, or at least trying to find the compromise. And I can like that. I think, would you say that, that he would be affected by matching what he was or the fact that when someone is in, uh, when you're trying to get someone to call him along with you, it requires that passive active. Not that someone was in passive active first. And I think you may say like, well, the person who's trying to sell something immediately should be the, the more active passive um, where they're being more forthcoming and outgoing and saying like X, Y, and Z. And then someone who's the passive active say, oh, I hear you with the X, Y, and Z. Let me, let me think about that. And maybe have we tried this? I think like that's, that's what you're trying to get at, right? In terms of, of figuring so, that out. When you get somebody in Bowman state, right? Who's just like, he has no audience. He's mm -hmm. screaming to the world. This is a man in pain. Okay. Like anybody can recognize that. And so what you want to do in that circumstance is is listen to him that's all he wants he just wants to be heard he's in pain and he's screaming out and you know if you're massey you come over there you empathize with his pain because i know tom massey i mean i don't know tom massey but i i know tom massey's a human being and i understand that he has empathy and i'm sure he's just as sad as bowman is at the deaths of those child bring that sadness with you let him see that be active with that emotion so you guys can bond over that while at the same time doing it in a very calm way. So maybe you can bring Bowman down from his loud, you know, activeness. And then turn turn Bowman into an active participant, uh, an active speaker, and turn yourself into an active listener. Ask questions to get Bowman, to get more information from Bowman. So you can try to find something to build common, you know, to build on together. There's got to be something that the two of these people can agree on. And if I mean, maybe there's not, but again, I'm not seeing somebody try to find it. You know, I didn't see Massey try to find it. I just saw Massey say, hey, do my thing. Come, come, my thing will solve the problem. Not like, hey, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're wrong. Maybe we could solve it together, but just do my thing. Or maybe we could find just like that one little nugget that we kind of both agree on. Right. You know? and, and maybe we start from there and then we see where it goes. Yeah. And we try to pass it really quick before the activists find out we're doing it. And then they come after us and <laughs> they pull all our PAC money and we can't right. go to office again. That's right. You know, Massey's like the NRA's pulled his money. The, uh, the non gun, the anti-gun people is pulled. Mad. Uh, like, no, not mad. Uh, moms demand action. Yeah. You know, and, and, and now they can't be in office anymore because the money who really, let's be honest, the money just, they don't want the problem to go away. That's how they make money. That's right. <laughs>
because once the problem goes away, then your whole organization loses its focus. And then like, what's your purpose? You got to find some other purpose to yell at people about. Well, and so that's true. But let's let's tie this the active passive back to Trump. Okay. Mm-hmm. Why do people follow Trump? Because some people follow him because he's very passive in the way that he speaks, but he says it in a very active way. Like I said at our, I think it was our February me- meeting, people follow emotion more than they follow words. Mm-hmm. They don't really care what he says. They're angry. He's angry. They want that guy in office because he mm-hmm. feels their pain. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Then there's a group of people out there that know that Trump is lying to them and they don't care because they still feel that emotion. And they're kind of like, look, everyone's a crook. They're all crooks. Why not vote for the guy who's the most crook? Maybe that'll mess up the system enough for them to reform it. And these are honest crook. No, I don't. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, I talked to Trump voters, people that you would never expect to vote for Trump, people that would never tell you on a survey or on a phone call or on a podcast or in the paper. They would never talk to these people because they don't trust them. And they go, look, I vote for him because I hope, I hope that they'll see how bad it is and start to do something to change it. Because look, they're all crooks. At least I know this guy. I know what crimes he's committing. He's doing them in the open. (laughs) Well, that's what the other thing I was thinking about, like, you know, you need to get a plurality to win an election. Obviously, you need to get the 50% plus one, 50% plus one of some kind of majority, I guess not even a majority, because he didn't, you need a majority of the electoral college in order to win. So the other thought that occurred to me was the populist aspect is the aspect that is not necessarily like the original Republican Party, sort of the old guard Republican, like if you were a 90s Republican or something, or there's issues that are really dear to you, um, but you kind of go along with it because you like, like there's these people that Donald Trump brings that for whatever reason, you can't convince to follow you. So you kind of have to follow, you follow Trump because you know that he's going to bring people and then you kind of like try to shove them in your corner and stuff. So I think like that's an interesting aspect too, in terms of he allows people, he, he is like, he is a coalition builder in that respect because he will say enough in order to get people to come along with him who don't necessarily agree with the populist aspect of him and don't agree with the emotion aspect of him. But it's enough, uh, you know, he will fulfill their policy goals. And I think like, you know, I, I just like, I know people in my orbit who are very pro-Trump and I don't think, you know, I they probably are very elite also, but I would say that because he fulfills what, what the goals that they want in terms of getting pro-life judges, um, the the low taxes, the tariffs, like that was a big thing that people would bring up. That again, like things that don't necessarily make sense, but that's the coalition he builds because he brings his thirty percent who will vote for him no matter what, and then he can kind of glom on uh, other policy issues too. So uh, I, I think that's maybe the, the more act the the I guess it's more of a passive thing where he knows he's got to bring other people along with him, and so he will listen and he will sort of say, okay, I can agree with that, and I can agree with that. You come with me. We got it. Don't worry. And, it, you know, he's he's usually good to his word in regard to those issues. I I bet you I've never been in the room with Donald Trump, um, but I bet you Donald Trump in a small group, in a small setting, is a very good active listener. And he mm-hmm. probably communicates very passively. He probably asks a lot of questions. He probably listens and asks very smart questions. Right. And there'll be the thing with with people like Trump um, is. I think that his ego sometimes gets the best of him and he tries to look like he knows things that he doesn't know. And that makes him look maybe less intelligent than he is, but I don't think that he's a complete moron, you know? And I think because you can't build that type of coalition, like you can't go into the room with the smartest people in the world and be able to walk out with power without them thinking you could fulfill even a monocoma of what you're promising. Absolutely. You know? And 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 that's the thing that I think people miss when they like, you know, I look at the principal's first crowd, right? Like they just they have the, they just have it out for Donald Trump and like I get it, you don't like him, he's a bad person, I understand, but you're just you're focusing on the wrong problem, right? He's not as he's not any more of a crook than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And he's not as dumb as you think. Yeah. And most importantly, his followers are not as dumb as you think. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest problem, both the media 
and you know the uh, the the other crowds, the anti-Trump crowds, you know, get. I mean, and you look at look at the Lincoln Project. I mean, they they embarrass themselves thinking how dumb you know they thought yeah. Donald Trump's followers and the media was like that. That just this whole scam. It was just a scam. It was a yep. grip. Like they literally just gripped at the people the same way that Trump gripped at the people, and they're just like, hey, we're cooler, you know, because he's a bad guy. And I'm like, we're all bad guys, right? Like we all we're all, like all born in God's image, all, uh, you know, poisoned with sin, working to be better every single day and asking for forgiveness, you know, and who are you to tell us who is worse and who isn't, you know, unmask them all, let them be who they are, and then let us decide, you know, but I go on. It's not just like, no, I mean, like, Lincoln Project is probably one of the best examples of, of people who said they were doing great things and got a lot of people think they're doing great things but at the end of the day they were just as grifty as all the other ones uh they're just shuffling money between their consultancies and uh taking a skim off each each uh version and iteration of the the grift yeah i think what they did was it, it was interesting to watch as a social or like a psychological communication experiment right mm -hmm. because they are they were very smart they understood donald trump in the way that he thought and they dug in onto his insecurities better than I think anybody else. You know, yeah. they were the bully meeting the bully. Um, but who does that serve? Yeah. Like, who does it only serve? It serves profit. That's what it serves. People like to watch a fight. They like to watch the accident. But it doesn't serve anybody's, like, needs in this country. And I think that's the problem. You know, that was what we're talking about with the media. They're not listening to us. That's what we're talking about with the politicians. They're crooks. They've got their own legalized money laundering scheme. And they just ignore it, you know. And that's what we're talking about with these, these grifts, these lack of communication, the misleading, the passiveness, the activeness, the whatever it is at the moment to get people to vote for you. Because at the end of the day, that's all it is. I need oh, you to vote for me. So did you say at every door when you go to and I need you to vote for me? I don't think I said that one time. It, and apparently they're right because like very few people voted for me. So maybe I should have been doing that. I should have listened to the consultants. <laughs> I don't know. There's some story about that. It's like he, this guy, he had to be asked to get vote to vote for him, and uh, I don't know. I'm gonna mess up the story, but anyway, the the the, the punchline is that like I only voted for you because you asked me to vote for you. So sometimes you gotta ask. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I feel like maybe we should have a different system, like one that's more about debate, like lifting up people of the community who serve them as opposed to like whoever can buy advertising. Cause essentially that's what we have. When you go to office, the first thing they tell you to do is start a political pack. You have to start a business to run for office and then you have to raise money to fund that business. And they typically want you to hire the people they want you to hire. <laughs> well, so much of it, have you heard of cargo culting? This is what I was thinking of the other day too. Cargo culting. It's a, it's a, I think it's a software engineering term because that seems to be where i hear it the most and every time i tell someone who's not in software engineering they're kind of like i've never heard of this before but the idea is at some point the british army or the american army was in the pacific islands and there was a they was a native population and so the army takes their boats in they land they build this uh air force base basically they put in the landing strip and stuff they've got the guys with the uh, lights and then planes start arriving and um once the war is over, the army leaves, but the, the whole air base is still there intact. So the natives come over and they start waving the lights and things and thinking that that will induce the planes to come. So that's cargo culting. You don't understand why the plane comes there. Uh, you follow the same actions, um, thinking that's, that's going to get you. And, and like, I, like that's so much of life is like that, honestly. You just kind of like, well, someone else did this. They got a result. I'm going to copy them and see if it works. But like, I think that's what... It, it's really bad. In, it's really bad in real estate from what I've seen, uh, but it's really bad in politics too, where someone wins and the whole, uh, the a whole sort of analysis after the fact is, is the sort of says, well, so-and-so won, so-and-so did this, this, and this. So I must do this, this, and this because he won. And I think that's, that goes back to the whole, like, well, Trump said mean things. So I'm going to say mean things because, and he won. So that should guarantee me a win. And again, not understanding the underlying aspects, like what actually got someone to vote for someone, what actually got them to uh, to 
become emotional about a certain subject, what actually got them to be engaged about a certain subject. Mm -hmm. we, we spend so much time fighting about it. So, you know, again, going back to the packs and stuff, people start a pack, they win and they say, well, I won because of the pack, because that's what I did. It, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't asking people to vote for me. It was just why well, I did a pack, you know, did a pack. Um, and the pack spent a lot of money and I won. So it must well, just be getting a pack and spending a lot of money because that's what's going to make it me to win. Well, I think so. Like, I think what happens is the way that they justify it is, hey, I got a pack. The pack spent a lot of advertising money. So people mm -hmm. heard what I had to say. Mm -hmm. and what I had to say was important, except, and here's, here's the thing is, the people running for office are not saying what they want to say. They are saying right. what the consultants tell them to say. Like, I promise you, no politician is standing up there like telling you their words. It has been written by somebody else. It's been proofread by somebody else. And somebody else's ideas are in there, not their own. And so the pack is paying the consultants to win the seat and they control all of that power because of it. And it's, you know, depending on how the structure is, like that power is divided into the multiple multiplicity of packs that go into that. And mm -hmm. you're not really supposed to have conversation and do all that stuff. It's just, it's just a mess. And, you know, get rid of the consultants, get rid of the packs, put the candidate on a stage, ask him questions, let him talk to the people in of his, you know, district or whatever. Like that's a better system. That's one that where the people are heard, you know, where they get to have their, their power met um, as opposed to this, Hey, that guy did this thing. So let's do this thing. But it can work in reverse, right, John? Because think about it. If you can get a candidate to win office through these like legitimate means by building a grassroots effort, by providing civic uh, education to people, and you can give them that platform and they can replicate that over a larger scale, then you can make change. Maybe. 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 <laughs> no, I mean, like, not to make everything, not to bring everything back to the school board, but this reminds me of my school board campaign where I was coming out with my my kickoff campaign stump speech, which would have been four years ago around this time, actually, uh, April of 2019. And I was going through it and I had this line in there it was like, Chromebooks are a disaster. And the person who was helping me write the speech is like, you don't want to say that you want to kind of tone it back. And I didn't really know anything better. And I trusted this person. And so I said, okay, sure, I'll tone it back. Um, so I, you know, that wasn't, I was something about like, we'll improve technology in the classrooms, very vanilla, very plain, again, not to offend people. Um, and then, uh, January of 2020, right after I won, I got invited to speak to a, like a parents group or something. And I used the same line Chromebooks are a disaster. And you know what happened that got quoted in a Washington post article as an attempt to like smear me and to send to, to, uh, try to disc discredit me and, put me off on the wrong foot so you know why? it all comes full it all comes full circle because people will do whatever they can in order to like bring you down to the lowest level in order to say like this person is the worst person in america and you should vote for the second worst person in america well so i mean the reason is is because google pays a lot of money to the schools right to get their chromebooks in oh have... it, it could have been about anything i mean like i said, oh, like, I'm I said telling the diverse... you. I said the diverse books was a disaster. I what did I say? The election was a disaster. I said a lot of things were a disaster in that speech. It was, <laughs> but I was being a little poetic and stuff. But no, I don't the, think it, I don't I don't think it was Google's ulterior motive here. I think it was an effort to tar a brand new school board member and and. Uh, well, I don't think it's Google. I just think you know it's the people that have the business relationships that live locally that are like, ah, no, I worked hard to close that deal. I don't want him saying the thing that I, I worked hard to close is bad. Let me call and complain to somebody and let them smear this guy. I'll call would a pack. Say, would you say it was the elites? The elites were after me. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the, you know, I, I think more than anything that um, the thing that people don't understand is like, there's like everything it's layered there are different mm -hmm. layers of elites mm -hmm. like we have elites in our like regular communities and you know i don't want to say that and people get the wrong impression and say like rich people in your community are bad no i mean i don't mean the word elite to be a negative thing i just mean it to define a certain group of people um it they're just like any group of people there are good elites and there are bad elites right and it's just about the ratio of who's in charge that makes what we feel about them um and so well, it's not it's not that you're an elite per se the problem is again like you don't listen like this is a very ciceronian idea of like the print caps the people who are in the first who can lead and be in charge and have the time 
and the the ability in order to step away from day-to-day life in order to deal with managing the messy civilization we live in. But the fact is that they don't then listen to the people they're supposed to represent. Like that's where the problem is. It's not that you're an elite, that you're rich, that you're above everyone. It's the problem that you don't like come back down to the people and try to actually help them and make their lives better. I think that's, sorry yeah. if I can. No, I mean, I, I, rant. I, I think you're, you're right. I mean, but I, again, I don't think it's like, I just don't think they know. Like, I just, don't, I think we have just a lack of information, a lack of knowledge of, of lack of like understanding the situation to the most part. I mean, especially when you get down to like the local level, you know, mm-hmm. I, I just think, I think it's a bunch of good people just copying and not understanding that what they're copying is the wrong way to do it. Parkour thing. Now, if only there was a, a class or something that would, that sort of had an opportunity to help people get better at this. Uh, do you know oh. anything like this? I do know something like this. So, you know, John, we have this class on April 22nd. It's We're going to be teaching the sphere of power. We're going to talk about... Wait, wait, what time? Where? Where Where can I find oh, this? Giuseppe's, 4 to 6 p.m. April 22nd. You can RSVP. Haymarket. Giuseppe's and Haymarket. RSVP on MadisonianRepublicans.com. We're going to discuss the sphere of power. We're going to talk about the federal sphere. We're going to talk about your local sphere. We're going to teach people how the system works, what's broken with it, how we can fix it. And then we're going to point them to their local sphere, to all the powers, the people that they can get closest to, to get their voice heard. And we're going to give them all the information they need to make change in their community. Done. I'll be there. (laughs) <laughs> awesome anything else to plug this week john no uh i uh, bad news i'm all, all news is good news but bad news is good news my kid wrote ripped the book but you know okay i got all my notes in here i think i wrote an article about it hey plug my article it's from like six months ago but go go read it read it <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, remember, April 22nd, you can RSVP, madisonianrepublicans.com. And as always, peace and love. <laughs>